Seattle has finally named their first head coach in franchise history. What could it say about the direction of the franchise? We'll debate and discuss. Meantime, in Chicago, the legacy of the 2010 champions is taking a backseat to a shocking investigation. And while we still don't know this year's winner of the Stanley Cup playoffs, we do know this year's David will be tested against the ultimate Goliath. Episode 275 of the Lace Up Podcast starts right now. It's time to lace them up. Here's Brett and Steve. And welcome to the show, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Steve Ellsworth. I'm Brett Tubuff. Seattle has a head coach, and it's probably not the guy you're thinking of, Brett. Right, yeah. So, um, yeah, it's it's weird. Um, it's uh, Dave Hackstall. Uh, the, if you don't remember him, that's okay. Um, he was the Flyers coach for a couple of years, um, and uh, I guess I, I'm pulling up his hockey reference right now. Uh, yeah, he played. Uh, he coached for Philadelphia Flyers for four years, um, and he had a win-loss record of, I guess, overtime loss record of 134, 101, and 42. So that's not too too bad, but also not great at the same time. Um, yeah, this is an interesting choice because there was a couple of other coaches that were available. Um, not to mention, like, a Gerard Gallant, who everyone thought was going to be the guy. But I guess, um, like, you know, even before Vegas, uh, or oh, I guess there was that whole pact of, like, Vegas had to um, get permission or had you know, had to grant permission for teams to speak to them. So maybe that had something to do with it. Of course, he's with the Rangers right now. Um, there was also, like, it would be kind of funny if it was, like, Tortorella, who was, who was the Seattle guy. Um, maybe even uh, Bruce Boudreaux is still out there. David Quinn, um, which would be interesting, too. So, um, but, yes, they went with Dave Hackstall. Reportedly, this was because uh, Dave Axel and Ron Francis were in a car ride together from like Czechoslovakia or Czech Republic, sorry, and, uh, to Slovakia or I forget the other country, but it was definitely Czech Republic. Um, and reportedly, they talked a lot about hockey Canada. Um, it's it's kind of cool. I I wish I had been. Um, I wish I had been, uh, like, hired just because I took a cab ride with someone. Um, but, um, but such is life. Um, and, yeah, he, he kind of, uh, he didn't do so well in Philly, but um, he did have a winning record in those four years, so it's still possible. Um, I guess this move, I mean, obviously we don't know the roster, we don't know how they're going to draft, we don't know what their strategy is. I think we can all agree, though, that like another Vegas Golden Knights thing is not is highly unlikely. Um, even with like you know, even if they did pick up Bruce Boudreaux or if they p- did pick up uh, Gerard Gallant, um, I still feel like it's um, it, it kind of shows that they're trying to rebuild, and this this isn't going to be the team that we can expect to make the playoffs every single year like Vegas had. 
Um, so that's just something to like temper your expectations for, um, just in general. Um, and yeah, I mean, it is a little bit of a strange choice because Hackstall didn't really make it in the NHL, um, in his first stint. But, um, again, like, I feel like, you know, it's, it's an interesting move. I feel like, um, you know, it could be something he does have a winning record with the NHL in the, when he was on the flyers. Um, so, so maybe he learned, um, new tricks to even get better. Um, yeah. So, so that should be an interesting dynamic for sure. Interesting because he's been out of the game for a little bit. I believe halfway through the 2018-19 season is when um, he and the Flyers parted ways. Not necessarily that Hextall wanted to part ways with him. He was was in Hextall's corner. He he was very confident in Hextall's approach. Um, And when you you look at the selection process, um, just to kind of like divulge as to – how things went. Um, apparently, Seattle was going through fifty to as many as a hundred names with their coaching search when it first started. And at the end of the day, eight candidates were being interviewed for this position. Some of them getting multiple interviews. I believe. Um, I believe uh, Rick Tockett, who got dismissed recently from the Arizona Coyotes because his contract was up. I think he got as many as three interviews. Um, you had David Quinn recently hit the open market after his dismissal from the Rangers. Wouldn't be uh, surprised if he was in the mix as well. I, I heard on Twitter that um, he was on their radar. Same with Tom Granado, uh, the coach at the University of Wisconsin. Um, they had the likes of Cole Caulfield on that team. They did very, very well. And He's had NHL coaching experience before, and that was getting popularity on Twitter as well. Even if John Tortorella isn't the perfect fit for a brand new welcome to the NHL type of team, you look at his resume and it's definitely more um, lengthy than than Haxel's at the NHL level. So there are a lot of guys that... um, Ron Francis could have chose instead of Dave Haxtell and he ended up going with Haxtell. And this is part of the reason why, just to outline his approach. So this is what Ron Francis said uh, when hiring Dave Haxtell. We wanted someone who had experience, had been a head coach in the NHL before. There are so many things, learning the players, learning the teams, learning the systems, and quite frankly, the pace of the league is unlike anything else. So we wanted someone who had been through that experience. We wanted someone who had good hockey acumen, who understood systems and how to play in all three zones. And if we had to tweak things, we could do that along the way. We wanted somebody who could communicate that message very clearly and very concisely to our players. The last thing we wanted to find an individual who we genuinely felt cared about players and wanted them to reach their potential. When we went through the process, the guy we're hiring checked all those boxes continually. So again, a very rigorous process, something they went through many, many times. And Dave Haxel seemed to be the guy they always went back to. So regardless of what you think of the hire, Seattle did their homework. Whether it's a good hire or a bad hire at the end of the day, I'm 
glad at least it was a thorough process and it's not like they put all the names in the hat in like a hat and just pull one out and just like okay he's our coach they they really thought this through so i for the moment i give ron francis the benefit of the doubt especially when you're bringing dave haxtell into an environment where you're building a team from the ground up like when he went into philadelphia it wasn't a case of every single guy in the team was handpicked by him. He, it's basically, like most cases, this is the players we have. Go out there and make the most of what you got. Yep. Whereas now, you, like Gerard Gallant, you can create an identity with the GM and with the players that um, you've got on your team. You, you have a goal in mind and you have a particular way of executing that goal. And it remains to be seen if the approach in Vegas leads to some form of success with Seattle, not necessarily a division title and a Stanley Cup trip in your first year, but like, I don't know, 30, 35 wins in your first year, maybe if, if that's what Seattle ends up getting, we could be looking at a, at a broader discussion of like, okay, um, you, you had a, a, a guy with, with a, with a new GM, a new coach, and you develop this system, maybe the Vegas thing isn't a one-off. Maybe this is like the new norm if it, if right. it happened in like two different places. And obviously we don't know what expansion is going to look like beyond this. It's probably going to be a 32-team league for quite some time. But I, I like the fact that they're getting a guy that communicates well and a guy that knows how to get the most out of the guys on the ice. And I think you're also getting a guy that's now that he knows a little bit about the NHL, the transition won't be as hard because when Haxtell first entered the league with Philadelphia, that was his first, even in terms of assistant coach experience, he didn't really have much in the NHL to go on, but now he's got a lot of lessons in the bank He's learned a lot as a coach, and I'm interested to see what he can do with it. Yeah, it's definitely, it definitely wasn't my first choice as the coach for Seattle. It was definitely a I'll surprise. be honest, he wasn't even on my radar. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> same. Um, but I, I don't know. I, I feel like, like, and it's also really hard to, like, figure out if this guy is going to be a good fit because, um, because we didn't, you know, do, like, you know, uh, the team hasn't even been created just yet, so... Um, it's it's really hard to say to say like oh this this is a good fit for this kind of team, um, so we can't we don't really know. But at the same time, it, yeah, it, it like you know Hacksaw could learn uh, from his failures um, in Philadelphia, and it wasn't like it was so terrible that he uh, he doesn't deserve another shot. So um, yeah, I'll be curious to see how he does, but. Um, yeah, it's, it seems likely that um, it might not be as good as the Vegas uh, start had, which is pretty much impossible um, because that was Vegas did the um, like overachieved by a certain extent that year. Um, yeah, and, and yeah. there there are some similarities between Haxtell and Gallant in terms of wherever they've gone, they've been True. able to find success in parts of those four campaigns. Yeah, with Philly. The final one only lasting 31 games before right. he was shown the door. Um, 
they made it to the playoffs in 2016 and 2018. Didn't make it past first round either of those times, but they made the playoffs. They were right. playoff teams in two of the three completed seasons uh, that he was on the team. And before that, in his time with Notre Dame, where he coached for 11 seasons, they were in the NCAA tournament in all 11 seasons. Yeah. And in seven of those 11, they went to the Frozen Four, yep. which is pretty tough to do. And he was like 11 wins shy of 300 coaching wins with with uh, North Dakota during that time as well. So um, the fact that he's, play, he's coaching in that league, the rosters are always changing, and he's still able to get the most – out of every single one, not only that, but like make them like the one of the best in the country consistently every single year. Um, that again proves to Dave Haxtell being able to adapt. He just needs to do it in the biggest league of all. Yeah. Uh, funnily enough, I was just looking this because I was I was curious. Uh, so Shane Gossespierre, he's kind of been linked as the, he's just going to Seattle. He's always, he's going to be the pick. So I, I was looking here cause like, obviously he was, uh, Hacksaw was his coach for a while. I found this piece here that was kind of interesting was, uh, so the 2017, 2018 season was Shane Gossespierre's best season, uh, just in terms of points. Um, he had 65 points in 78 games. That happened to be also Dave Haxtell's best coaching season in Philadelphia as well. So um, I feel like there could be some connection there where we might be seeing uh, Ghostus Bear go to Seattle. Or he might even request to go to Seattle just because um, he can uh, chill with Haxtell because they, they have a good relationship. So just watch out for that. That's all I'm saying. Um, yeah, so what what you're saying is he could be their David Perron, where like his no. career is revitalized and he's like a point of game player. Well, I'm thinking more of um, yeah, I'm thinking more of a Jonathan Marcheseau, Riley Smith, because yeah, theoretically, because yeah, yeah. theoretically, a Gerard Gallant coached those guys beforehand. Oh my God, mm -hmm. I, I think yeah, I just true. Okay, okay. In yeah. sorry, <laughs> this is a little bit off topic here. But in all my years of uh, living here, I live right outside the Charles River. Um, <laughs> I just saw... I have no idea where that is. I've never been to Boston, okay. never been to America. So for okay, anyone yeah. who, who knows Boston, Charles Charles River is like the biggest river um, in Boston. It, like um, On one side is Boston, Boston that you would know of. The other side is like is Cambridge. Um, and that's usually Harvard, MIT, so, like, all the big schools there. Um, anyways, but Charles River, it's, like, 26 miles long. Like, the Boston Marathon, that's basically what the Boston Marathon's about, is you run alongside the Charles River for most of it. I just saw someone, however, I've never seen someone get into the water. I just saw someone get into the water. <laughs> I don't is it are are they people allowed to swim in it? Uh, I I actually don't think you are, but it's someone <laughs> someone's in the Charles River right now. This is this is thrilling for me. Whether um, they should or shouldn't be there yeah. in the I river, I think you can, but like you can't be in there for like an hour or so because uh, it's like um, 
I, I, I don't, let me just put it this way, I wouldn't, um, even though I've, I've lived here for a while, and I love swimming, but no, I don't yeah. think I would ever do that. Um, anyways, uh, back, to, back to being on topic here. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I guess all I'm saying is, is that like, there is that connection there uh, because of, um, because they, they used to be coaches there. Um, maybe like a, even like a Shea Theotor type, type thing uh, eventually, but we'll see. Um, anyways, um, so in sad, unfortunate news, we do have to talk about this. Um, it's gotten to the point. I think we mentioned this um, in February or January, but there were um, the Chicago Blackhawks were getting sued by, um, by two former players because they said that a coach had sexually abused them um, in 2010. Um, and this was their Stanley Cup, their first Stanley Cup victory in this, uh, in that decade. Um, yeah, to, to yeah. clarify, video coach that is no longer with the team, yeah. that is the suspect in question. Yep. Um, and now it's, it appears that there's a lot of news that's come out since then. Um, this the past couple of weeks especially um and uh so there's i'm, I'm just going to read some paragraphs here um so this is from rick westhead who's the tsn senior correspondent he's been on the case for for this entire time it feels like um a former chicago blackhawks associate coach has confirmed that a meeting took place during the 2010 NHL playoffs in which the team man team's management discussed the alleged sexual assault of two Blackhawks players. John Torchetti, who was an associate coach with the Blackhawks from 2007 to 2010, said that he remembers the Blackhawks skills coach Paul Vincent telling him about what the players had confided in him and what had happened after Vincent brought those allegations to management. Um, I cannot believe what I was hearing, uh, said Torchetti. Um, we talked about it, and he said with the player's permission, he had to go and take this management to be dealt with. Um, however, last month, a former Blackhawks player who is not identified in court records filed a lawsuit against the team, alleging that he and a teammate had been sexually assaulted by Bradley Aldridge, who is a former team video coach who no longer is with the organization. The players alleged that after he shared news of the assault with the team's sports psychologist, he was told the incident was his fault. The second lawsuit, also filed against the Blackhawks by a former high school hockey player in Michigan, alleges that after learning of the allegations against Aldrich, the NHL team allowed him to remain on staff through the summer of 2010 and then gave him a positive job reference, which allowed him to coach with the high school team in uh, Michigan, where Aldrich successfully assaulted uh, the then 17-year-old player, um, and then uh, Aldridge was eventually sentenced to nine months in prison and probation for 60, month, uh, 60 months. Um, and then the other thing I wanted to mention here, uh, Vincent said a day later he was called into a meeting at the team hotel in San Jose with team president John McDonough, general manager Stan Bowman, vice president of hockey op operations Al McIsaac, and Gary... Um, Gary, I'm not sure. Oh, James Gary, who's a sports psychologist. Said, uh, Vincent said he asked the team executives to go to the sex crimes unit of the Chicago Police Department. And Vincent said that they refused. Um, so this is, like, I think we knew that there was a lawsuit coming. Uh, we didn't know all the details. But it does appear 
that it's just based off of this information that pretty much everyone in the Chicago Blackhawks front office, including Stan Bowman, who still works for Chicago, um, John McDonough, who was the team president, I think he might still be the team president now, um, and all these other guys, they all knew that this was going to, this happened, um, and they refused, to, not only did they not fire this guy, um, but they, they gave him permission to go to another, like, team to abuse, to presumably do that, uh, to presumably sexually assault other people, which he, he did, and, uh, they didn't even take it to the police, uh, like, like, I, I can understand if this is, like, actually, I can't understand it, but <laughs> the fact that, like, like, it doesn't even matter how good of a coach this guy is. Like, this is above, above anything that anyone, like, it's like, it's not, it's above hockey. Like, is it's it's like uh, Bobby Hull abusing his wife or many women. Um, it's just, um, it's despicable. Um, it's, it's one of the worst things you can do. Um, besides murdering, it's probably the worst thing you can do to another human. And, um, and this is, yeah, this is just crazy to the, the fact that they're still, like, they were defending this guy. So, like, I don't care that this was in 2010. Um, the, all, every, anyone who ever knew about this incident and didn't speak up or didn't do anything deserves to be fired and out of the NHL completely. It's also ridiculous that I was seeing that Gary Bettman's not even, like, investigating this at all. Um... It's just, it's just crazy. Like, this is one of those things that, like, it's like the Joe Paterno thing with Jerry Sandusky. It's like Joe Paterno knew that Jerry Sandusky was uh, molesting all these little kids, and he did nothing about it. He did nothing. And um, and it's just, it's just horrifying. Um, yeah, that, <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, I, it, it's just, it's annoying. <laughs> I don't know what else to say. It's just, it's incredulous. I can think of other words than annoying for one disgusting. Of course, of course. Like, yeah, yeah. You're, 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 you're looking at a league that is trying to be inclusive for, like, the LGBTQ community, like, trying to be a shining example for the world. And they're, they they talked about uh, a couple of years ago this, this plan to, like, be more inclusive and, you know, to eliminate bullying and, and stuff like this. And, and like, like I said, you know, be good boys. What's this? Yep. Like, like, th this is a shame. Is yep. what it is. It's a disgrace. Is what it is. Like, you, like we hear about this in the Ontario Hockey League. We hear about this in other junior levels. We hear about it in the in the AHL sometimes. The NHL is supposed to be the best league in the world. It's supposed to be the cream of the crop. It's supposed to be better. Yep. This should be a first-class organization, an original six organization, no less, that should know better, that should have some sort of moral compass to realize, okay, this is pretty bad. Even though he's employed by us, we kind of probably should tell the police about this. Even because, like, what, what, what makes you look worse? 
telling people about it the second it happens and have everyone say, oh, man, you guys employ that guy. You should be ashamed of yourselves. Right. Or go a full decade later before this comes out. And and then and now people are just saying, oh, you employed this guy and told nobody about it. And it's been 10 years now and we're just finding out about it. Shame on yourself. Like, and the guy has worked for the team for, for many years now. And the, the people that are talking about this no longer work with the team. Except, oh, Stan Bowman, the GM, he was there. Yeah. At, at, this, at this point, I don't give a damn about performance. This is a major ethical yeah. red flag, and jobs need to be on the line here. In fact, jobs should be taken away straight up. Yeah. Stan Bowman should be gone. I, I don't care how the rebuild's going. He's gone. Period. End of story. You knew about this. You had a chance to do something about it, and you didn't. You should have spoken up. That, that goes for anyone, any members of the Big Brass in that meeting. I don't care what your title is. You had the chance to speak up and do something about it, and you didn't. Enabling someone to do this and get away with it yep. is, I think, is worse than the act itself. When good men do nothing. Yeah. And I'm just disgusted reading reading that article from TSN. Good on TSN for getting that story out. It's it's of course. sickening. Yeah, yeah, it is sickening. That's that's a better word than uh, annoying. Uh, that the word I use. Yeah, like and like I said, like this is far beyond hockey. Um, like this is just a human thing. It, it's disgusting. Mm-hmm. Um, and even the fact, like, yeah, like what he did, what this coach did, is is horrific horrifying, despicable, everything, um, like, like, still, like, backing him or defending him, even at the time, seems a little crazy, I, it's just, yeah, like, uh, Stan Bowman deserves not to have a job anymore, really, um, it's, it's despicable, um, yeah, that's, that's pretty much the only thing that comes to my mind, it's, it's crazy, because, like, they're complicit, too, um, and, and, yeah, they, I think what's also crazy is I was just reading more on this article that according to Bill Daly, they're not going to investigate this any further. I mean, I guess because they don't want like the NHL to interfere with it for like, because they're probably thinking it's like 2010, whatever. But like, I feel like the more there, there seems like there's a lot of public pressure now, especially from TSN, especially on Twitter, where, um, where the more that we talk about this, the more that like the NHL looks really bad and they should investigate this and they should do something about it. Like it doesn't even matter if it was 10 years ago, uh, something should happen about it. Cause like you're ruining these kids lives. They're going to be traumatized for life. Um, there's nothing you can do about that, but at least what, what you can do now is be, uh, be held accountable and keep people accountable for their actions. Oh, by the way, I found something that that actually makes this look worse. Um, So there was a second lawsuit that was filed. I don't know if you mentioned this part of the story, Brad. But a second lawsuit was filed by a former high school hockey player in Michigan. I did mention that, yes. Oh, you did? Okay. Yeah. Well, that part that, that shocks me is the team gives him 
a positive job reference. Yep. Which leads to that high school team hiring him, and he allegedly does the same thing to a 17-year-old yeah, player. That, that's, yeah, like, that... I, again, like, they, they even gave him his next job. Yep. And he does it again. He does it like, again, yeah. That's, that's just... That's just blind leading the freaking blind man. Yeah, I, it's crazy. I, I I can't explain how you just morally you're just like yeah we know this guy did something wrong he's not gonna do it again though we'll 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 give him a nice little recommendation right. for a high school you know just to you know put put food on the table mouse to feed yada 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 we'll we'll help this guy out with his next adventure and the the guy screws it up again right. What's also crazy is, like, he only, so he was sentenced to nine months in prison and probation yeah. for 60 months. All, only nine months in prison. Yeah, just yeah. nine months I'm in prison. I'm sure the yeah. victims are thrilled about that. Exactly. It's just, that, that part's also insane to me, too. It's like, nine months in prison for, like, sexual, like, raping Minor justice. What the, yeah. for being a pedophile? That, that's, that's nuts. Um, all right, anyways, um. I am sick of talking about stories, but it is very important to talk yeah, about. No, them, no, this, 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 this yeah. story that's tough to talk about, but you need to exactly. And and pe- people can't turn yeah. a blind eye to this. And like just just ev- just everything about like the the Hawks organization on on top of that, like every single guy in that dressing room knew what happened. And probably thought it was wrong. Right. And and still, the organization did nothing about it. Everyone remembers the 2010 Chicago Blackhawks and all the good stuff that they did and breaking the curse and all that. And I feel like maybe they're going to look at that team differently with, with, with this little yep. side of controversy attached to it. It just gives people bad vibes. And... Yeah. <laughs> just, just with, just with the way the league has also handled, you know, the whole Blackhawks logo thing, and, right. and now this. I've, well, I was going to go one I, step further because Patrick Kane also had that sexual, yeah, mm-hmm, uh, yeah. thing a couple of years ago too. So it's like, and well, I mean, I, I guess it like now it seemed like that case was settled um, out of court, but um, but yeah, it's it's uh, not a great organization, it seems. And they also, I mean, they also have Bobby Hull, who they still glorify. Um, uh, yeah. They still have a statue outside their window uh, glorifying a domestic abuser. Um, so, yeah, <laughs> come to think of it, they may not be a great organization. Um, anyway. Mor- morally, they, they haven't given us much uh, to give them credit right, for. Right, right, exactly. Um, let's go to... Um, all right, so... Back to hockey, um, we're going to do some obituaries here um, of the teams. Are, I guess, well, you know, we'll do an obituary for the finals as well. But um, so our last th- uh, our last two, no, it's not our, it's our, two of our last three obituaries of the season. Let's say it that way. Um, so... Uh, we're going to start off with, um, well, also, I guess we're bearing the lead. Tampa and Montreal are in the Stanley Cup Finals. They're going to be playing later tonight, um, if you're hearing it on Monday. Um, and, yeah, so we'll, we'll definitely talk about that. 
But first, we're going to do our obituaries for the two other teams that just got eliminated last week. Um, we're going to start off with the Vegas Golden Knights. Um, this was a, kind of a shocking thing because Vegas was basically, like, had uh, one... Uh, they almost had the President Trophy lead, but Colorado had the tiebreaker, um, and they ended up being the second seed. Um, and so once they beat Colorado in four straight, um, we had assumed, like, okay, Vegas is probably going to be the Western Conference team. Um, instead, it's Montreal, and we'll talk about Montreal in a second, um, or in a few minutes, but... Um, but yeah, it seemed like Vegas, a, a staggering statistic um, that I saw somewhere was that Cole Caulfield, uh, he had four goals in this series. Uh, forwards for Vegas, they also had four goals um, in this entire series. Um, so that's pretty crazy. And pretty much all the goals that happened were either from Alex Petrangelo, uh, Alex Martinez, and Shea Theodore. Um, and Mark Stone didn't have any points in that series. Max Petretti had a couple, but um, he kind of was silent. Jonathan Marchessault was silent. R Riley Nash, uh, Riley Smith was si uh, more or less silent. He had a couple of points in that series. But, um, I mean, as good as Carey Price is, um, and he has been, um, it's, it's pretty insane that, like, none of those guys showed up at all. And that was a big reason why... Uh, Vegas didn't really do so well this time around. Um, they, like a lot of their big guys, just didn't show up. Mark Stone especially, um, and all that stuff. Um, so in terms of UFAs and RFAs, they're kind of in good shape. Um, there's Thomas Nosek, Matthias Janmark, and Alex Martinez are UFAs. They don't have any RFAs to worry about. Um, but, um, but next year, uh, they will have a couple of RFAs. And also, uh, Marc-Andre Fleury, Ryan Reeves, and Riley Smith are all UFAs. Oh, and Braden McNabb. Um, and then in terms of RFAs, there's Nicholas Roy, Keegan Colsar, Nicholas Haig, and Zach Woodcloud are going to be RFAs next year. Um, so, so that's something that you kind of have to... Uh, consider when you're um, Vegas. I do wonder, because we did talk about this before, is that like their center depth isn't um, the best in the world um, and that I thought that was going to be their downfall against Colorado. It turned out that wasn't the case. Um, it was sort of the cause in Montreal because Chandler Stevenson was injured and they didn't really have anyone um, on the center part um, really when, when Chandler Stevenson goes out and when Chandler Stevenson's your best center, um, then, then you're probably not a good team. Um, so they might need to go out and get a center. Um, the mo I see this speculation all the time is Jack Eichel. You're going to try to get Jack Eichel. I feel like they would be the prime candidate to get Jack Eichel. And I'd be for it um, if they do that. Um, it would also fit in with the fact that they have Mark Stone and Max Pacioretty, who are also former Atlantic Division stars, um, who end up going to the Sin City of Vegas. So, um, I think 
I could see Jack Eichel being on there. I guess the issue would be, of course, that you have like Jack Eichel's making ten million dollars and his contract's pretty crazy. But um, I think it would be something that that would be worth it because he's far better than William Carlson and Chandler Stevenson. Um, and who knows with C- Cody Glass or anything like that. Um, so um, I, I, I just said a lot of stuff here. But uh, what did you think of the series and what do you think they're going to do in the offseason? I think the Vegas Golden Knights, to a fault, um, lost this series. Um, that they, they were they were their own worst enemy, and it starts with Mark Stone. And I sing Mark Stone's praises a lot. I'm a big Mark Stone fan. Not ashamed to say it at all. Great first year as captain. He was nominated for the Selkie. Um, hate to bury the lead. We'll talk about the NHL award. It's when all of them are unveiled, of course. But Mark Stone did get a lot of praise uh, from those Selkie votes and. He was, like, top 10 scorer this year. Big, big year for him. His best year in, in the show to date. And I think the best is still yet to come. He's, he's in the prime of his career. He's going to do great. But going pointless in six games, you, you need more than that from your captain. And at the very least, you need your captain making good plays. He was making uncharacteristic plays all series. There were yeah. plays where he was... Where he looked dumb. Yeah, he. Uh, there was and also he, like a he, bad. You don't hear anyone saying that yeah. about Mark Stone. Mark Stone just made a dumb play. Yeah, there was a, a couple so, of um, goals that he. Uh, there was one in particular. I forget the guy who scored, but he did turn it over, yeah. and the the next play, like that, he he shoots it and scores. So, um, that was yep. very crazy. Yeah. Yeah. So that that definitely hurt, but the lack of. Scoring from the rest of the forwards also didn't help. Uh, Cole Caulfield, heading into the Montreal Vegas series, had zero playoff goals. He had some good looks, but he had zero playoff goals. He gets four goals. All of Vegas scores combined, six goals in six games. That's what I said. That's yeah. a goal per game from your forwards. Also not good enough, especially when you consider – how good Vegas's offense can be, I'm stunned that's all their forwards could do. Their defense, give their defense credit. Their defense played good. Martinez was awesome. Petrangelo was probably their best defenseman. Shea Theodore was Shea Theodore. Nick Holden as well. Really impressed with what Nick Holden did in these playoffs. Um, had a lot of big moments there. So the the decor for, for Vegas wasn't the problem. That's good. And I feel like Robin Leonard and Marc-Andre Fleury are going to get a lot of hate on Twitter, and I don't think they should. I, I'm well aware that the turning point in the series could have been off of that blunder by Fleury in Game 3. But at the same time, Vegas had how many chances to bury Carey Price? And they couldn't. Right. Like, they were outputting Montreal 30-8 to through two periods in that game, and the score was tied at 1, well before that blooper happened. Uh, so I, 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 it's good that Vegas is at least getting this close. This is the third time in four years they've been to the final four and they're, they're learning how to overcome adversity, but I just don't get how after a seven game series against Minnesota, 
where you're kind of pushed to your limits a little bit and you find a way to to get production at the right moment from some of your depth guys in that game seven against the wild and how you're able to turn things around after going down to nothing to Colorado, how you can, I don't want to say they took the halves for granted or they took them lightly, but I think there were at times points where they let the halves off the hook. They let the halves hang around and, and it cost they were playing far too often, and when you got in the playoffs, it comes back to bite you. And one of the things that Montreal does very well, they get leads and they build them. Or in the first period, which is ultimately, I think, for many teams, it's get a lead early, get off to a fast start. First 10 minutes, you're on their tails, you're, you're making them chase the play, you're taking the play to them. You're making them play your game. Vegas, when we've said many times, when they play their game, they're awfully tough to stop. I don't think they got the chance to really thrive in their elements. And I think part of it is how their depth at center is structured and their offense scoring goals in timely situations. They didn't get that in the conference finals. Again, why it mattered last year, and they didn't get in the final four. Uh, in 2021, I'm, I'm curious how they fix the depth down the middle because I do still think that William Carlson and Chandler Stevenson fit needs for this team. Um, but, I mean, with Jack Eichel's name out there, yep. how do they not make a push for Jack Eichel? They yep. have picks, they have prospects, they have roster players that they can move away. They have no problem getting rid of cap space to bring in key guys, we saw it with Mark Stone, with Robin Leonard, yep. with Max Pacioretty. They got Petrangelo, and they just dealt Nate Schmidt for a third-round pick or something like this to Vancouver. Right. They'll they'll find a way to get Jack Eichel on their team if they really, really want him. And as much as I want Fleury to stay after the year that he had, um, given the concussion in, uh, issues that Leonard had this year and in previous years, I think they'd be wise to keep Fleury, too. I don't know in a contract year when he's 35 plus, I don't know how much of this caliber of hockey Fleury has left in the tank. If you can trade away that cap space to make room for Jack Eichel, I maybe do it. Maybe bring in a guy like Linus Olmark on a one-year deal to provide some store stability for Robin Leonard. Um, but they, they, can't go into next year, however they do it, they can't go into next year with absolutely no progress down the middle. They yeah. need to solidify that number one spot. Yeah, I think we're both in agreement on that. Um, I think another thing that, that is kind of interesting, um, well, one is, like, they did have a good center, uh, except they traded him away um, and got Max Pacioretty. Um, and I'm, I'm talking about Nick Suzuki, who ended up, who's now oh, yeah. on the Montreal Canadiens. So, so that's one of those tr things that, like, okay, that's they should get that, but, um, but yeah. Don't and, forget about Thomas Tatar that Thomas didn't Tatar. really play a big role in this yeah. series, but he's going to the finals anyway. Yeah, that's a good point too. <laughs> um, yeah, so it's it's definitely, um, yeah, it's definitely a strange thing in terms of that point of view, um, but yeah, I think we we agree that they need better center depth. It seems like they have everything going on. Another thing I wanted to mention 
Um, although the series wasn't all Marc Andre's fault, um, Marc Andre Fleury's fault, I I do want to mention that I feel like the team, like he, ever since he made that gaffe in Game Three, um, what like where he messed up that that behind the puck thing, he just fell apart and. Um, and then what happened was then Robin Leonard comes in and he does really well. And then in game, uh, and they win the game. And I kind of do wonder uh, what happens if Robin Leonard just continued to play after that, um, after game five. Um, and um, because Mark, it wasn't like all those goals were Mark Andre's fault um, in game five or in game six, sorry. Um, but wait, now I'm confused by the games. Uh, he played in game five. Um, it wasn't all his fault, all those goals, mm-hmm. but, yeah. but I do think that Leonard, what, like just judging by how he played in game four and game sec- six, um, he, he was, he was on his game. Um, and I, I am curious to see how that goes in the future. And I feel like, um, like a big reason why the, offense wasn't there was because they were worried about what was going to happen in goal and I think they just fell apart because of that Marc-Andre Fleury's gaffe there and and you you have a perfectly very good um, goalie uh, backup goalie you should use him Um, it doesn't matter how like you got there in the first place because Marc-Andre Fleury uh, was very good in the first two series but um, Robin Leonard is also very capable, so that part kind of doesn't make sense to me. Really, it's just like I know how good Fleury is, but just the fact that it seemed like he just wasn't all there, um, and um, just towards the end, so it's like okay, you have Leonard. Like a lot of teams envy you because of that, and he, and he's gonna be a free agent next year, and he's probably not gonna resign there. So you have one more year where you have this tandem, and um, and yeah, you should use it. You should use that to your advantage. And that was the time when they when they should have done that, and and they didn't. Um, so I think that was like yeah, the offense should be better, but I think at the same time, like um, like I feel I feel like Robin Leonard should have gotten more starts than he did. Um, yeah, I, I think part of that is also to the fault of Pierre de, uh, of Pierre de Boer as well, right. and the, well, the mean, way that, that is basically the way what that I'm he saying. handled the the situation this year, like it's not again that Flurry was the worst goalie yep. um, of of him and Leonard, right? It's just that I feel like Montreal had a playbook; it was working against Flurry, and against Leonard, they gave him a different look, like. Like, for example, 2017, Ottawa just rips Pittsburgh a new one. They beat him like 5 yep. nothing or 5-1, and Pittsburgh puts Matt Murray in the net. And they go on to win the series. They go on to the finals with Matt Murray, and they win the cup. Right. Because they made the switch to Matt Murray. They gave the other team a different look. They got back on their winning ways, and they found a way to get to the next round, continue taking care of business, and... And that's that's how teams go far in the playoffs is you need to have a coach that adapts quickly. 
I don't know if Peter DeBoer can adapt quickly enough to really get Vegas to that next level. Yep. And while you're, you might be able to have another year of the Fleury Leonard tandem, a guy like Alec Martinez, who played awesome for Vegas this year, yeah. who might get a lot of money on the open market, I don't know if Vegas can hang on to him. Right. Which I think kind of hurts their defense, even though they have like young guys like Nick Hague in the system that are just knocking on the door, waiting for their chance to make an impact with a big club. And potentially, hey, could do that next year. I like what Martinez was able to do with Theodore and Petrangelo and all, all the other guys like McNabb and, and Holden. He provided a bit of stability and also a little bit of secondary offense on the back end there. Right. So I think that's something that they might have to sacrifice as well for the sake of keeping the tandem of Fleury and Laird together for one more year slash going out and getting someone like Jack Eichel or a capable number one center to, to fill the void they currently have in that position. And that's yep. where Vegas is probably going to get into a bit of trouble there. They're going to have to sacrifice something. I, I don't think losing a name like Matthias Yanmark will be a little, uh, will be as big of a problem for Vegas, even though he does help their penalty kill. They might, they might, hurt on the depth front with guys like Noshik and Yurko walking, but the big guys that you need to look at are Alec Martinez and Marc-Andre Fleury, potentially what they do with him on the expiring year of his deal. Um, And that's that's where their cap situation gets a little dicey. They're not out of the woods yet. Yeah, the thing with getting Jack Eichel, and of course he would help them a lot, but you're you're also like the Sabres aren't going to trade Jack Eichel for pennies on the dollar because they don't want another yeah. O'Reilly situation. They don't want a Taylor Hall situation either. A Jack Eichel, you know, you only can trade Jack Eichel once. So they're going to want top dollar for him. Um, and like, like, I guess you could maybe trade like Cody Glass and, and something like that, but... Um, but that, that's something that, um, Vegas doesn't necessarily have is just their, um, maybe Brendan Brisson they can package as well, but, um, it's not like Vegas yeah, has a ton of prospects. Maybe Jack Dugan too, because I think Buffalo's more interested for prospects and draft picks if they make right, a right. trade. Right. So, it's, but like in terms of like all the other teams that are interested in Eichel, which are like the Kings and the Ducks. They have a much better prospect pool than Vegas does. So Vegas yeah. is going to have to like pull out some uh, extra cards if they really want Jack Eichel. They're going to have to pull an abracadabra, yeah. which exactly. we've seen it before. So that's why I'm not ruling it out. But, right. yeah, it, it, it'll definitely cost them. Yeah. And, and even then, I don't know how much better they are with Jack Eichel. They might, True. They might be still a really good playoff team, yeah. but what happens if they get to the Final Four and it's the same result and they don't win? Right, or they like they face off uh, against Buffalo in the Stanley Cup Finals, and it's Cody Glass <laughs> or something. Because um, I, yeah, I feel like yeah, Buffalo uh, like Montreal's the lat- yeah. lowest seeded team out of all the teams remaining, and yeah. they lose. Well, no, I, I'm thinking it's but like it's Jack Eichel against his former team, and it's like yeah. Cody Glass against his former team or something. Um, but yeah. It could be like a Nick Suzuki type thing all over again. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so so that could uh, potentially happen, but probably not next year. Um, 
All right. Um, and also, like, uh, like, like Vegas is in their fourth year. It's just so impressive that they are able to. They were able to make the playoffs in all four of those years. Um, this might be the first time though that like it feels like, oh, like they their their window might be closing pretty soon. Um, is, is this like all the other times it's like oh they're just happy to be there kind of thing. Um, but this year it feels like oh like they they might actually have to like change some things up and and do and do something that that could be working. So I'll be curious to see what they end up doing um, in the long run. Uh, also, uh, 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 one final pointer: uh, fix the damn power play. Yep. Like all of that off. Fence. I don't know how your power play is done. You're perfect. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's a good point. Um, all right, let's go to the other team that got eliminated. Uh, this is the New York Islanders. Um, they, they. I mean, they did make uh, force the Tampa Bay Lightning into a game seven, um, which is impressive in its own right. Um, but they, yeah, they, they also kind of just. I think it was one of those things that Tampa is just a really, really good team. And it's, it's not to say take anything away from the Islanders. They played really well. Um, it's just that they're not as good as Tampa is. Um, their depth was, was falling. Um, I think part of that was also just the fact that they didn't have Anders Lee. They made this run without their captain, Anders Lee, which is I, – I am curious to see how they would do if Anders Lee was healthy at all. Um, they also didn't have uh, Oliver Wallstrom, who I felt like helped them a lot uh, throughout the whole season. So um, they'll probably have him back um, when he's healthy. Um, and then, you know, I think it, it's just also just, yeah, their, their, their forward depth just wasn't enough uh, for Tampa. But that's not a knock on the Islanders because Tampa has probably the best forward depth in all of the NHL. So... Um, I think that was a bigger reason why they lost. Um, but Arlamov played really well, um, but um, I, I was kind of curious to see if, if Sororkin could pull off his magic again like he did um, in the Pittsburgh series because uh, Sororkin, you, you got a glimpse of what Sororkin was capable of in that Pittsburgh series, um, and I am curious to see like um, what he could do um, if they did put him in, but again, like, you know, just like the other, of Vegas, it's not like it was all on Varlamov. I think it was just a lot of it had to do with Tampa's just a really, really good team. Um, yeah, what what was your take on why the Islanders lost? I think, um, well, they first of all, they, they did something that they didn't do the previous year was have a much better game one. For starters, they didn't get outscored eight to one in game one. They actually won game one, as a matter of fact, which hey, is even better than keeping it close and coming up short. Game five was their sinker this time. They right. got off to a terrible, terrible start, played a very uncharacteristic game, and Matt Barzell had that cross check towards the end of the second period. Everyone was was checked out, and everyone knew that probably like half. Halfway through the second period, it was a lost cause, and Tampa was going to take a 3-2 lead. And Tampa's the kind of team that straight up is... 
they, they, they don't really care who has the puck, what the emotion meter's like, what the odds are for or against them. They, they, they just go out there, they play hockey, they show up, and more often than not, they find a way to get the result that they're looking for, and they just stick with the plan. And they, they have the coaching staff that can make that happen. They have the players. They have the mindset now. Uh, I think that Columbus series has really, really changed them. And they played the perfect game seven. They got on the Islanders straight away. Varlamov, as you mentioned, Brett, played amazing this series, but especially in game seven, he played well. And even in game five, before he got pulled, he, he stopped 13 of 16 shots. And at, at that point... Tampa Bay had like 11 power play shots in, in game five, and all of them were against Sorokin, all of them after Varlamov left the game. Uh, so that that's just how good Tampa can be at any given point in a hockey game. And, they, yeah, they have guys like Kucherov and Stamkos and Hedman, but Brayden frickin' point is, is something else, and we'll, we'll talk about him later, but it just seems every goal that he scores – it's just a big, big yep. goal. And the goal that ends up burying the Islanders is a shorthanded goal from Yanni Gord, which, again, just showcases how freaking dangerous this team is, how loaded they are depth-wise. They've got every single ingredient you can ask for in a playoff team. And, hey, look at Vasilevsky, fourth straight playoff shutout in a series-clinching game. Yep. And that's basically all of his career playoff shutouts. Those four. Like, I, I I, don't know how you explain the level of greatness that Tampa is striving for, the level of greatness that they already have. It's it's something that so few teams in the history uh, to skate in this league have uh, have been able to, to demonstrate on a nightly basis. Uh, so the Islanders... I think they did the best that they possibly could. They got one game closer. Um, they, they just need, it, in, in those game sevens, to to play with that fearless mindset uh, that, that Tampa Bay has and really control momentum in those games. You could tell the the emotion on Matt Barzell after, after the game. Like, he had a tough time getting through that presser. He was pretty choked up, obviously. Um and mostly because that uh, he was looking at the veterans they brought in, like Paul Mary and, and Travis Ajak and Andy Green, who are all free agents. And you you kind of got the realization that every single guy on this team might not be back next year. And that's something that I really think the Islanders were. They're a team that wanted to win for each other and play for each other. I'm sure every team is like this, but a, a lot of teams in NHL history don't showcase it in the manner like the Islanders did. It didn't matter what the situation was. They just kept fighting and winning. And they gave, at the very least, NASA calls him the proper send-off with the thrilling comeback win. Right. And that, that just shows the character that they have in the locker room. And the reason why they might not be able to keep Paul Mary and Zajac and Andy Green even on reduced contracts is because they have guys like Beauvillier to pay. He's an RFA. His cap hit is $2.1 They have Sorokin to pay. 
the season he had, the playoffs he had against Pittsburgh, I think he's going to be the number one guy before Varlamov finishes his contract. Right now, his cap hit is $2 million. That's probably going to go up. And, oh, yeah, Adam Pellick, a big part of their shutdown defense. He's a RFA. Yep. But his cap hit was only $1.6 million. Yep. Like, they they, they – they are. They had him and Mayfield on bargain contracts, and both of those guys played great in these playoffs. Uh, Mayfield's got some more term, but Pellick doesn't. You're gonna have to pay Pulak again next year, and at that point, Pulak's gonna be a free agent. And then you're gonna have Barzell to pay again in a couple of years yeah. too. His cap is currently seven million, so it adds up. You need to really be playing like the long range game when you're talking about the New York Islanders. And while I also like the veteran leadership and the scoring abilities that Palmieri brought and the leadership abilities that Zajac brought, I'm just thinking, do they need an actual, like, legit top six forward? Not saying Taylor Hall, but there are a lot of those out there on the open market that the Islanders could use, yep. even if it's only for a couple-of-year deal. Um if, if bringing in a better option than Paul Mary on the wing uh, can help the Islanders win a Stanley Cup, because I think they're on the cusp of that, I, I would probably go after that opportunity, like someone like a Ryan Nugent Hopkins, maybe. Yeah, that'd be uh, obviously depends on the price tag, but there there are low key some big names out there, a lot uh, that can fill the scoring need. I feel like. The Islanders need that scoring top six forward yep. in order to like really take that next step. They can hang with Tampa. We all know they can. We see it the last two playoffs. But in order to beat Tampa Bay, I think they need that missing ingredient. Yeah, that's a good point. I well, I, also that kind of goes with what I was just saying about Anders Lee. It's like I am wondering what yeah, this that team all, that also hurt. That, yeah, yeah. I forgot that that also hurt. But they, yeah. they to their credit, they were able to pick up the pieces without him with True. guys like Nelson and Pajot. Yeah, it, it, it's out. like it's like impressive that like this was what they were able to do without their captain, without a guy like Anders Lee in their thing. So I am curious to see what they would do. Mm-hmm. If Anders Lee was there, and I guess we'll never really know because, of course, the the team's going to change. But, um, but yeah, I am curious about that. Uh, yeah, you kind of alluded to this, but I do want to mention uh, officially uh, the UFAs are Kyle Palmieri, Travis Sajak, and Casey Sezikis are UFAs on the forward front. Braden Coburn, Andy Green are UFAs on the defensive side of things. Corey Schneider is the goalie. Um, as for RFAs, I think that's going to be the bigger... Uh, deal where guys that they should sign um, but may not be for whatever reasons. Michael Del Cole, probably not. They, they don't have a priority to sign him, but Anthony Bouvillier and Ilya Sorokin's probably their big t- top priorities in terms of signing for RFAs. Um, and then, of course, um, Adam Pellick, as Steve mentioned, is also an RFA too. But that's that's also important too to see um, how, they, how they handle that. But um, yeah. yeah, there's also uh, there's also some buried cap with Andrew Ladd and Thomas Hickey. Oh, I think in order to like make some cap space to keep as much of the yep. current guys as they can and to add pieces, those contracts need to be wiped. I yep. 
I don't know if they can do it with buyouts or if they can make a deal with Seattle, but they need to get that dead weight off of their roster. Well, uh, for Thomas Hickey, he's uh, he's only uh, he only has a buried contract for one million, and this he's they don't have to pay him anymore for next the next year. Um, whereas Andrew Ladd, it's it's gonna be a little bit more difficult because he's making yeah. four point three million for uh, two more years. Um, but yeah, I, I guess there is something to that. Also, Johnny Boychuk um, is on LTIR. I think he like retired, but yeah, he, no, he retired. He retired. But, that's but he isn't on LTIR, so they may have mm-hmm. to uh, figure something out for that too. Mm-hmm. Um, that's yeah. that's gonna be that's gonna be something for Magic Blue to figure out there, but. Um, he always finds I, a way. So. I, I, I think that's something that's going to hold them back is those contracts, not the players, but the contracts and the term and the dollars there. Um, just just not equating to any level of future success for the Islanders um, in terms of what they can do be beyond this year. Because yep. they're definitely on the right track. They just need to find that extra step to get better. And yep. that comes with adding a piece. And, of course, you can only – add so much with the current cap and the flat cap especially um that's where those contracts can be a real hindrance the interesting thing is when i'm looking at their cap friendly page they say they're they're technically i mean they they bought out rick dipietro and they're still like that still counts as one of their buyouts so and i think like nhl's like teams are only allowed two buyouts at a time so they can't just buy out andrew ladd and Thomas yeah, Hickey because they, they're still buying out Rick DiPietro. Mm-hmm, yeah, yeah, and that's that's again where where past sins really come yep. back to bite you. Like that DiPietro right. is the Bobby Vanilla of the NHL. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Although, July first, they're just yeah. like, oh, DiPietro's contract, uh, DiPietro's bank account just got a little bigger today. Right, right, right. Except for the fact that Rick, I don't think Rick DiPietro is getting paid anymore because he did get bought out. But yeah, um, that that is a good point. Um, all right, now we actually get to talk about the actual Stanley Cup Finals. Uh, we kind of, like, I feel like the last couple times whenever we've done this, we've spent more time on the obituary than the actual preview, um, which is, I mean, it's fine. I guess it makes sense because we do start off with the obituary and then we're just like, oh, yeah, this team's pretty good. But I do want to make it a case that we do talk about both teams equally. We kind of already alluded to it when we were talking about the both both teams obituaries, but I do want to mention some some different teams and some different dynamics. Uh, so first off, yeah, um, and and also also that we also talked about the Islanders and uh, Vegas last year when they got eliminated yeah. too, and I don't think too too much has changed. And there's also a little bit of intrigue to the off season that I think we right. should save for later. So that's why I was a bit quicker with mine as opposed to the previous one. So just to add a little like Well, I mean, I don't. I I think it was. We, we I think we spent a, a the same amount of time talking yeah, about. Yeah, we each. we didn't go full like Boston Bruins. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. On this. yeah, that 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 one was crazy. <laughs> but I, I'm trying my best to not be a homer this time, which is going to be pretty <laughs> difficult when I'm talking about these two teams now. But that's yeah, okay. you're, the homer the homer is Tampa in this <laughs> case because he doesn't yeah. have Montreal to play. However, ta- I don't love Tampa either for the reasons. That I'm about to say, but I again the I don't want to talk about homers. Enemy is my friend. I yeah. believe that's that's the yeah. That's I, the I think so, but I I don't necessarily love Tampa either because they because um, they're a good team and uh, they're big rivals to Tampa uh, to the Bruins. 
um, in the past couple of yeah, years. Yeah, speaking of rivals, like, isn't it funny that Vegas Montreal was the conference yep. finals this year that should have been the finals any other year, and this matchup would happen at the latest round two in a normal year, but yep. because everything's backwards in 2021, it decides who wins the cup. Look yeah, it might be the first round pick, but yeah, that was what I was going to say is that, <laughs> like, um, this this is a like this is going to be one of those things where Tampa and Montreal are playing against each other. Um, and what's also funny is that they are in the same division. Um, and I assume, presumably they're going to be in the same division next year too, uh, which is which is funny too because Tampa and Dallas, who was last year's Stanley Cup Finals, they were in the same division too. So it's going to be like two straight years where the Stanley Cup Finals our teams are going to be in the same division. Um, but, um, but yeah, so, so yeah, this is going to be Tampa versus Montreal. Um, and, um, another thing that's just from, I guess, this is the only Bruins element I'm going to point out here. Um, Montreal is like, uh, is a, a historic rival, the original six team rival. Uh, I, I still hate them. A lot, um, and they're you know it always seems like they got our number, especially during the playoffs. Uh, no matter how good they are against other teams, it's just like they they always seem to know how to beat the Bruins somehow. Um, and I think it's because of Carey Price, which we'll talk about in a second. Um, and then uh, on the other hand, there's Tampa, and this is a team that uh, the Bruins do okay against. But uh, they've had a few playoff series against them in recent years. And they've sort of become more of the hated rival, more than the Montreal has been. However, um, I feel like I can't root for Montreal because I would just have to turn in my Bruins card right there. Um, I also, I don't really I, love... I feel like you're, you're more keen to root, a root for any player on Tampa Bay, whereas, yeah. like, even if there's a popular American on the Habs, you won't cheer for them. Right. Well, it's it, well. I was going to say, it's like, it is a little bit of a shame because I do like the players on Montreal more than I do of players on Tampa. But, on the other hand, it's just like, I, I just I just can't do it. I, I just can't... I, I, like, the, I also love, like, uh, chaos... When my team's not involved, I love the underdogs, which Montreal would be if they win. Because, like, in a normal season, Montreal wouldn't be in the playoffs, um, in, like, in these new divisions. Uh, they wouldn't be here, um, which is just insane. And it just speaks to how much um, crazy, like, the NHL is, is, or just how unpredictable the NHL is, is that any team could theoretically win. And that or win the whole thing. So that would be kind of cool if Montreal does end up winning. But um, on the other hand, it's just like, I, I just I just can't do it. <laughs> um, so we're going to start off with Tampa here. I do have some stats here that I found a little bit interesting on both, on both of these teams. Um, so the first one is that Braden Point is, um, he scored a goal in the first six games of the New York Islanders series. Um, and, um, I think he also scored, oh yeah, he also scored three goals, um, three goals in, uh, in, consecutively, um, in the Carolina series as well. So he had, um, yeah. a nine goal game streak 
where he scored a goal in every one. Um, he didn't score one in game seven, but that's okay. He he's still you know he's Braden Point. He's he's a monster. I I would assume if Tampa wins, he's going to be any. Of course, if he has a good um, a good series, um, he's going to be the the um, the Con Smythe winner. But um, but yeah. It's... In case you're wondering about the nine-game goal streak, Reggie Leach has the all-time record with ten, so Point was one short of equalizing that record. Um, but yeah. very tough to do in a one-nothing game. Yeah. You have to score that one goal. Of course. The the crazy thing about this though is that even though Braden Point got six goals and two assists in this series, he didn't end up being the highest point getter for the Tampa Bay Lightning. And that goes yep. to Nikita Kucherov, who had nine assists, which is even as crazy, too. It's, like, uh, it's, it's insane. We did talk about this for months, but, like, you know, Tampa Bay is currently, like, $20 million over the cap um, <laughs> because of guys like Kucherov and Stamkos. Um, and that was yeah, what so, they were able to so, do. So you have a storyline of a team that should yeah. be in the playoffs in a normal year versus a team that's $20 million over the cap. Right, right, exactly. Will win. So, so yeah, it's that that part's also a little bit weird. But um, what's also interesting is, is I saw on um, I think I saw it on Twitter, it might have been on Reddit, that like in uh, twenty fifteen when the Blackhawks got away with this, Tampa Bay filed um, like a complaint to get this rule changed <laughs> to circumvent the cap. Um, However, all the, well, this was in 2015, so Vegas wasn't in there. So all the uh, tw- the 28 other teams didn't have a problem with it. And now, 2021, Tampa Bay is using this. It's kind of like what Trevor Bauer is doing now in baseball, where he complained about pine tar and uh, uh, spider tack, and now he's using it. Um, and then all of a sudden, like, then uh, they penalize all the baseball players for it. But um, so I, I imagine this time now, uh, teams will probably be like, okay, we, we can't allow this to happen again. Um, like, I, I remember, like, I guess I'm going to talk about the Bruins again. Um, but, like, there was even some speculation that what the Bruins should do is because Tuka Rask isn't going to be there in. Um, uh, from February to, you know, isn't going to be back till like halfway in the season. What they should do is just put him on LTIR and just take advantage of the fact that um, they can circumvent the cap <laughs> and just put him on LTIR. So it's like teams are actually thinking of ways to do this. I mean, maybe obviously this is just fan speculation, but um, it does show that like that's, that's just how it goes because what Tampa Bay is doing is. It's technically legal. It's just um, a really bad loophole. Anyways, uh, Nikita Kucherov, he's been um, really impressive too. Um, and he's, I believe he's been their high, yeah, he's been their highest point getter with 27 points. Braden Point has 20 points. What's imp- crazy though is you would think like Steven Stamkos would be the next point getter, maybe Victor Hedman or Anthony Sorelli, who's gotten in on some points as well. Um, but actually, the third point getter for Tampa is Alex Kilhorn, who has 17 points in 18 games um, these playoffs. So, um, so yeah, that's kind of an interesting thing, too, because it just shows how 
how good Tampa Bay's depth is, is that uh, some guy like Andrew Killorn, who gets, I mean, I guess he does get 17 minutes of ice time, but like even guys like Danny Gord, Ross Colton, Blake Coleman, um, they all get in on this on the on the points. They all they all just get in on it. Um, Andre Palat's another one. Um, so it's they're they're all you know I think Tampa Bay is very good at that aspect of it where they have just like their third line is is could be a second line on most teams. Um, so so that just shows how good their depth is. Um, also, what's impressive about Tampa is they have one of the best goalies in the league, uh, and he's he's really putting on a clinic this time. Uh, he has a save percentage of 936 and a GAA of 1.1 uh, 1.99, which is incredible, of course. Um, also, uh, just in this series, um, yeah, he's been um, he has a 1.59 GAA and a save percentage of uh, 939 or I guess 940. Um, so so yeah, he's been on his game and as Steve mentioned, he has like uh, anytime the uh, Tampa Bay can choose to eliminate another team, um, he's shut them out. He has I guess it's a pattern of his. Although I guess he could have eliminated the Islanders in Game Six, but he didn't do that um, so, clearly. So, um, so there is something to that. But, uh, but I guess when it happens, it happens. Um, so yeah, Tampa is a very good team, um, and even though they went were third into the Central, they've just really picked it up this time, um, and and have been really good. Um, anything before I get on to Montreal. Do you have anything else you want to mention about Tampa? Well, Tampa, first off, is going to be the toughest test that Montreal's had to face because, sure, the Montreal Canadiens faced a Toronto Maple Leafs team that, even without John Tavares, still had Austin Matthews on it, still had Mitch Murnar on it, still had Morgan Riley on it, still had William Nylander, Alex Kerfoot, second-leading scorer on the team during the playoffs, also pretty good. Jason Spezza, also pretty good. A lot of good players on that team. And Jack Campbell was matching Carey Price save for save. And, in fact, statistically, had better numbers than Carey Price in that series. But you know what their power play was? Not fantastic. And you know what Winnipeg's power play was? Not fantastic. You know what Vegas's power play was? Even worse than not fantastic if probably the most mediocre power play that um you could pick out of them when you consider that vegas was right behind colorado's tail for the president's trophy and their power plays that average um it, it just boggles the mind it also boggles the mind how toronto and winnipeg with all that offense uh, can't manufacture a better power play. Although Winnipeg's was actually pretty good, mm-hmm. but it wasn't like top three or top five. I think it was closer to the top ten, maybe a bit above that. Um, but nevertheless, their power play, not even remotely close to the amount of lethal weaponry that Tampa has to go with. That is ultimately what's going to seal this series, is Tampa's power play versus Montreal's penalty kill. Montreal's penalty kill, I don't know if you've heard this, Brett, 
on top of outscoring teams 14 to 4 in the first period um they are 11 and 2 in games where they've scored the first goal which is 13 of the 17 games they've played so far they're 7 and 0 when leading after one 8 and 1 when leading after two so they're very good like i said at, at building up leads and that has definitely helped it also helps that Carey Price, on top of that, is is holding the fort and doing what he does. Yep. But Montreal's been able to get away with a, a couple of average matchups down the middle. They're not going to get away with it this time. Tampa has a lot of weapons. At Wait, every was that stat for Tampa? Left wing, right wing, center. Was that stat for Tampa and, or for Montreal? Because we're we're about to talk about uh, Montreal. We, uh, yeah, uh, sorry about Montreal, but I'm, I'm just saying, like, okay. they're, the reason, like, Montreal has been able to do so well is they've been able to get off to well, hot starts. But we're talking that's, about that's, Tampa that's, right now. Right, <laughs> okay, yeah. No, but I'm talking about Montreal in the sense that T- Tampa Bay is going to be their toughest Got test it. because of all of the other stuff that I just mentioned, because of the power play. Because of the center depth that Montreal's now going to have to take seriously, like, okay, these guys are not going to be a cakewalk. Like, yep. Philip Deneau might even get exposed many a times in this series yep. just because of how Tampa Bay operates. And those early starts that you saw Tampa have at various points in the playoffs where they had that, I think, four or five goal surge against Carolina in game four where they had that early explosion against the Islanders in game five, and they just kept pouring it on. Montreal can't have that happen. Yep. And Tampa is a great, great team. Stanley Cup defending champions for that reason. And why they're in the finals again, it's because their special teams are so excellent. And on top of that, Vasilevsky is just as good, if not better than Carey Price. Yep. So, it's it's going to be a very very tall order for Montreal to contain that Tampa Bay team, and Tampa's heavily favored for a good reason. That reason, because yep. they're clearly superior from top to bottom, better than the Habs. Yep. Um, also, uh, so okay, <laughs> good. I, I I was thinking for a second, it's like, is he talking about Montreal or is he talking about Tampa for a second? But you, you, do, you were able to pull just, it back to Tampa. The internet dial-up, yeah. uh, you, you know the old school retro signal, the internet dial-up is yeah, going yeah. to his brain. As exactly. I was, I was just like, like I yeah. specifically told you to talk I, I, about Tampa. Yeah. yeah. It, it's no, it's, it's like, like Montreal has... <laughs> As that success on the penalty kit, they haven't been through right. a power place lethal as Tampa. Yeah, so that's that. that's why that's that's why I'm that's no no. Why I'm I, you you managed to pull it up. You managed to pull it all in together. I was just like, <laughs> I was just <laughs> it like took what? Me about going like three seconds, but yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, I eventually got to point it. Yeah, yeah. So, anyways, Montreal has been very good as well. I, we don't want to discredit them either. Um, so what's interesting about Montreal is, as I'm looking at their stats as well, uh, Tyler Toffoli has the most points on Montreal. However, Tyler Toffoli, um, if you just go by based off of Vegas, like how Montreal did in Vegas series, uh, the point, the highest point getters are, are tied with Cole Caulfield and Nick Suzuki. Um, I don't think Toffoli even had, or I think he had, oh yeah, he had four points. 
um, in this in this series. But um, but yeah, it, uh, it was pretty much just the Cole Caulfield and Nick Suzuki show. I mean, it is a sign of like how good Montreal has been able to draft and trade. Um, where like you know they get Cole Caulfield fifteenth overall, they trade for Nick Suzuki. Um, and, and those two guys seem to be the, the future of Montreal, uh, where you can build your team around them, regardless of what's going to happen, um, in this series. Um, and, and that's something that like, you know, even if Montreal gets swept, which I actually don't think that's going to happen, um, that's something that Montreal fans can look forward to for years to come is the fact that you have Cole Caulfield and Nick Suzuki. And that's something that like a lot of teams wish they had. Uh, because uh, those guys were like drafted in the teens um, when when it happened, um, and you know those guys should be you know looking back. Of course, hindsight is twenty twenty, but those guys should be in the top ten um, when they were drafted, but they weren't. So um, so that's something that that uh, that is on the bright side um, for Montreal for sure. Uh, yeah. So Tyler Toffoli has fourteen points in these seventeen games. Nick Suzuki has 13 points in 17 games. Uh, Cole Caulfield has 9 points in 16 games. Corey Perry, oh, sorry, 15 games, not 16 games. Uh, Corey Perry has um, 9 points in 17 games. He's been good. Eric Stahl um, and Joel Amia have 8 points um, separately as well. Um, but, yeah, so I, th- I think that's something that um, is interesting uh, also, I guess Jesperi Kotkinemi has had his moments, although he, he only has seven points in 16 games. Um, I think it's interesting, too, is that like the first two games, uh, Montreal decided to uh, healthy scratch Cole Caulfield, um, which I think was actually the right move. But I, I started to like think about like a big reason why Montreal was able to make this run when they, you know, they could barely, they might not have been able to make the playoffs um, in a normal year, was because of Cole Caulfield. He's, he's really, this is basically a Cole Caulfield uh, sh- breakout party type thing, uh, where he's, he's really showing up, and I think we all knew what he was capable of. I'm kind of surprised that it's been so immediate, that he's been immediately this good. I thought it would, it would be a couple of years before we saw Cole Caulfield reach his true potential, but it seems like this is, like, what we can come to expect out of Cole Caulfield. I mean, of course, he has a, you know, he hasn't even played a regular season game, um, a full regular season just yet, so we don't really know, but, um, but yeah, this, this guy is going to be really, really good, um, and it's, it's just, what's funny is, like, the fact that Cole Caulfield's 5'9", um, Jack Hughes, who was drafted first overall, he's he, you know he's not to knock Jack Hughes at all, but he's five ten, um, and so it's just, it's just funny that like you know Braden Point's also five ten, Patrick Kane's five ten. There's a lot of five ten players, but it seems like if you're five nine, like Johnny Gaudreau, even Connor Garland's another one who's like five nine. You're not like for for some reason five ten. You're good to go. But if you're five nine, okay, you might you might have some issues, which is just crazy because it's literally just an inch apart from each other. Um, but but anyways, um, Montreal um, 
has uh, they did really well against Vegas, particularly Cole Caulfield, who had five points. Nick Suzuki also had five points in these six games. Uh, Paul Byron had four points. Tyler Toffoli had four points in the, against Vegas. Um, I think another thing that I do want to mention, though, is that Carey Price, um, he's been incredible. Um, although, like, in this series against Vegas, uh, he had a 2.1 GAA and a save percentage of 9.32 um, in, uh, against Vegas. But overall, he has a, a 2.02 GAA and a save percentage of 9.34, so about similar um, stats in that sense. Um, yeah, this is kind of like the carry price that we've come to expect. I think um, the, you know, during the regular season the past couple of years, we kind of seen like carry price kind of be bad um, and not, not great. And I think there was like an aspect of the fact that he was always fatigued. Um, and uh, now it seems like he's saving all his energy and um, is just turning back to this carry price that uh, won the heart a couple of years ago. Um, and yeah, he's, he's very, very good. And a, like a big reason why, like, even as like, whenever the Bruins play the Montreal Canadiens, I'm still afraid of Carey Price. Cause I know that like this guy could show up, but, um, he's just been inconsistent for, for whatever reason in the past couple of years. But now it seems like he's back and ready to, uh, be his, his full self. Um, I think the interesting thing that has happened with Montreal is that, um, like, we all th thought that you know, Toronto was going to beat Montreal easily. They didn't. Uh, we all thought that um, Winnipeg was going to eat, beat Montreal easily. They didn't. We all thought that Vegas was going to beat Montreal easily. They didn't. Um, and then now I feel like we're all going to think that Tampa Bay is going to beat um, Montreal easily, and I'm not sure it's going to be so easy. Um, I still think Tampa Bay is going to win, but I think it's going to be a tough series. It's not going to be a sweep. I will say that I think it's going to be Tampa Bay in six. Um, but, um, but yeah, I, 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 I don't think anyone's going to be surprised if Montreal pulls this off somehow. Um, but they might, they might. <laughs> I, I think we can all safely say that the Habs killing off 30 for 30, uh, Tampa's going to break that. Mm -hmm. They will give up a power play goal in this series for sure at some point. Um, but nevertheless, their power, their penalty kill has been amazing. They've scored four shorthanded goals, only given up three power play goals in three rounds. And they haven't given up a single power play goal since game four of the Toronto series, I believe, was the last time they gave up one, which is which is pretty crazy. And in that series, they were 81.2% successful, 13 for 16. But going 30 for 30 against teams like Toronto, Winnipeg, and Vegas, not easy to do. And 11 of those 13 games that they played from game five onwards, they won 11 of them. And this, this team just... It gives me a lot of vibes that they don't care about logic. They just go against the sports betters every single night, and they just find a way to win. And we've seen teams do that and go to conference finals runs like the Sens did in 2017. We've seen teams 
like the Dallas Stars most recently make a finals run out of it, but not win the cup. I I said after the Vegas series, if Montreal wins that, they're not going to be denied. And just looking at the way the Unsung Euros have played, I'm, I'm even just as convinced. Like, how do you explain this for me? A spirit cock in Miami. He has 31 career goals. Nine of them have been in the playoffs. Five of them have been yep. in this playoff run alone. Uh, you look at Brendan Gallagher, first on the team in shots on goal, but he has five points in 17 games. Meanwhile, meanwhile, you have guys like Joel Armia score five goals and three assists in those 17 games. He's averaging 14 minutes and six seconds per game. Only had 14 points in 41 games this season. Paul Byron waived multiple times, put on waivers, uh, scratched. Either way, equals to not in the lineup tonight. With his insane speed, he's been able to create three goals and six points with a limited amount of opportunities to do yep. so. Eric Stahl, you mentioned the 16 games. He averaged 11.30 per game in these playoffs, and he's half a point per game player. That's pretty good efficiency, pretty good efficient scoring from him. And it, it, it just all points to something special here. It's not just Carey Price carrying the load, although it is mostly Carey Price carrying the load, and Philip Deneau has done a great job of shutting down the other team's best players. But different guys have been picking it up. It's it's shown in the game-winning tallies, where nine different players have scored game-winning goals. Three guys have two. That's the most on the team right, right there. And the latest was by of pretty good bottom six forward, but I don't know if he's anything more than a bottom six forward, let alone a top six forward, Arturi Lekinen. And in that game look to be one, like one of Montreal's best players. It's just a different guy every time stepping up while Carey Price is, is doing his thing. And it's just a special bond that Montreal has created. So it's going to take seven games if Montreal wins, but I'm picking Montreal in seven. I think wow. they're going to do it. And I, I it's, it's not going to be easy at all. Tampa Bay is probably going to win game one. But Montreal's going to battle back, and it's going to be a back-and-forth series right to the end. They're not phased by the road atmosphere. As we saw in Vegas, they went 2-1 um, they went two and one in Vegas, if I remember correctly. Um, and they took the opener in Game 1, as a matter of fact, too, and were able to quiet down crowds that were bigger than the Bell Center. Yep. Even in the Bell Center... You know, they didn't even have 5,000 fans in the people. But the yep. building, for, for what it sounded like, it sounded like there were at least 10,000 in there. Hmm. So it, it, it just goes to show you um, the intangibles of this team. This team is overachieving big time. I, I have serious doubts if they're even going to be able to make the playoffs next year because they're going to be back in a division with Tampa and Florida and Toronto and Boston and – all of these teams. So I think you're going to have this added level of urgency from the Habs that urge to get it done now. Um, because I honestly don't know if Terry Price is going to be back in the finals again after this year. Yep. So they're going to make the most of every single opportunity they have. And I think that's going to carry them. 
Um, wow. it, it's definitely going to be their their toughest task, but I think they're up for it, and I think they're going to get it done. Wow. Somehow they're going to get it done. Well, I guess you heard it here first. <laughs> I did. I did say that, like you know, you wouldn't be surprised if Montreal wins this thing. But I guess yeah. I, I'm surprised and, and that you. I went you against them in all the other three series, yeah. Brett. I didn't pick them to win. I, I said they're going to make it close, but I didn't pick them to win. Uh, a few things about this series before we wrap up. Uh, one, uh, this is also a meeting of the Sergachev and Jonathan Drouin trade. Uh, both of them were uh, drafted by the other team, and now I don't even think Drew even played um, in the Vegas series. But um, yeah, but yeah. He, he's been taking he's been taking a, a leave of absence. Right. He hasn't played in at least a month or two. Yep, something like that. So like he's been yeah. absent from this whole playoff. Also, right. this like, is yeah. one, two, three. He hasn't right. played. Right, uh, that's right. I forgot about the fact that yeah, he wasn't. Um, he he did take that leave of absence. Um, also, this is Pat Maroon's third straight Stanley Cup Finals. I think the last time this has happened was like Marion Hosa, but um, but yeah, it's, like I I hate the guy because you know he faced off, he was brutal against my Bruins in 2019. But um, I I do have to hand it to him. He he um, he is somehow uh, still on the Tampa Bay Lightning and still able to. Um, make a make a role for himself, um, even if it is a fourth line role. So that's impressive. I for wonder him. if that's a bad omen, though, because yeah. Marinosa lost in 08 and 09 and then won it in 2010. Right. Maroons won this year, uh, last year, and the year before. Does that mean? Does that mean he loses right. to go two and one? But I will say that, like, like Marion Hosa was on three different teams. Um, well, <laughs> those yeah. times. But, but a lot like, of them are very good, though. Like true. Pittsburgh, Detroit. Yeah, no, not not to take anything away from those teams, but like, whereas Pat Maroon's been on two of these these teams, um, but yeah, so that's impressive. There's another point that I was going to make, but I forget it. Um, maybe there, I'll. There was one myself. that I mentioned oh, yeah. uh, to you in a chat. Um, I don't know if too many people remember this, but way back when, there was a deal in play uh, for. Montreal to get Vinny LeCavalier because Vinny LeCavalier was this huge, huge superstar oh. player for Tampa Bay. A lot of offensive potential. Contract was a little bit pricey at the time, but the Habs fans, and, well, the Habs management in particular, I don't know about the fans, but I'm, I'm sure the fans would like to see Vinny LeCavalier right. on their team. But the Habs management really, really wanted him to the point where there was a rumored deal that involved Carey Price going to Tampa Bay. Right. Brian Lawton, the, the GM of the Lightning, turned it down, and the deal never happened. Yep. A major scenario of what could have been yep. if that deal happens and prices on Tampa. I'm sure Brian Lawton doesn't regret that because Vinny LeCavier is like <laughs> was a pretty good player. So I, I, I still, I and mean, obviously Andre Vasilevsky is like. Um, of, like even better than Gary Price's, so I'm sure he's he's doing okay. Worked, uh, wasn't yep. Montreal thinking of uh, giving up Subban as right. well in that deal? Yeah, I think there was so something like that. It wasn't yeah, just yeah. Price and true. All um, and lastly, oh, I remember now. Um, oh, I guess there's also Ryan McDonough. He used to be he was drafted by Montreal. Oh, Speaking of yeah. Um right, the Scott Gomez yeah. trade. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, that was a big mistake yeah, in Montreal. Yeah. Um, and lastly, I do remember what I was going to say. So 
2011 uh, was the last time a uh, Canadian team was in the Stanley Cup Finals. Um, Ten years later, uh, the uh, Montreal Canadiens are now the first Canadian team in this decade um, to to make it to the Stanley Cup Finals. Um, I feel like like there was like a streak where like uh, like Edmonton made it, then Calgary made it, then like um, I think Ottawa made it one year. So it's like it's just like three straight yeah. years where Canada had a team in the Stanley Cup Finals, and then and then Vancouver yeah, it made was it. Calgary, yeah. Calgary in 04, Edmonton in right. 06 because locked out oh, in yeah, 05. Yeah. Right, right. And then and then my Ottawa Senators in 2007. We don't talk about how it ended because right. it was sad. And then yeah, I I, um, I won't. Um, and then, uh, yeah, 2011 was Vancouver, and then, uh, yeah, 2021, now it's Montreal. So I guess uh, uh, Winnipeg and Toronto have to figure something out because they need to make the Stanley Cup Finals. In, in case you're wondering, the Habs fans did riot after Game 6, yep. and arrests were made. Right. So if you're if you're wondering if the pandemic might be over in Quebec, well, it's probably I, not. I think that's a sign that things are trying yep. to get the right direction because Sam's fans are riding after wins now. So, anyways, uh, that's it for us here. Uh, enjoy the Stanley Cup Finals. Oh, it's it's so wait, weird. Before before we wrap oh. up, Brett, um, uh, Con Smith, did you have my pick? Oh, Con Smith pick. Uh, do I have a choice on like should I pick it if a team wins and our team loses or? Any, it doesn't matter because honestly, it, it, if Carey Price plays well enough and it goes seven, he could yeah. win it either way. So well, that's that's what I that's what I was okay. So you're you're gonna pick Carey Price either way. Um, yeah, Carey Price either way. For yeah. Me, yeah. Okay. Um, that's like a JS Jaguar type thing. Um, yep. Yeah, I'm going to go with yeah. I think well, I think clearly if if Montreal wins it, I think it's Carey Price. But I think um, Tampa. Um, I think a big reason why I'm even picking Tampa is their scoring depth might be too much for Carey Price. So I think I'm going to go with, uh, but I'm still going to go with Braden Point to get the Conn Smythe um, if, yeah, if, I, if uh, Tampa wins. Anyway. Um, to, I, I don't know. I think I feel like I might... Between your job, it's like, yeah, I don't know about the assist, but like... I, Outside of like that goal in Game Five that he scored to make it like yep. seven nothing, pretty much every goal he scored in the playoffs has like I don't know been the game's first goal or didn't right. Tampa Bay or the, the game lead or like tied yeah. the game. Yep. Like every single time yeah, he's, he's delivered in big situations, and that's what the definition of an MVP is, right? Yep, he's so, been phenomenal. Yeah, that's a good choice. Well, yeah, he's been phenomenal. I don't know if he's gotten the OT winner, but he he has been pretty good. Um, anyways, uh. So our Twitter is Lace Them Up. Our Facebook is Lace Them Up as well. Um, oh wait, no, our Twitter is Lace Up Podcast. Our face up, Facebook is Lace Them Up. Um, you can uh, listen to us on SoundCloud, iTunes, and Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcasts, um, and follow us there. Subscribe. Um, that's about it. I'm Brett Dubuff. I'm Steve Ellsworth. Enjoy the finals, and we'll be back to break down some of it in episode 276 of the Lace Mob Podcast.